The scripture this morning is from the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verses 21 through 30. Hear the word of the Lord. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruit for labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, folks. It's uh, great to be here again. We are uh, going through Philippians still, and uh, still in chapter 1. We'll be wrapping it up today and uh, pretty much going through the uh, uh, last few verses of chapter 1, uh, focusing on verses 27 through 30 today. And uh, really the theme of what we're talking about uh, kind of is the word whatever. Uh, the song talked about whatever comes, how we need uh, Christ for uh, whatever comes to deal with it well. And uh, um, Paul says here, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so uh, we really do, I would say, live in a whatever world in a sense. And uh, let me give you a couple examples to see if you can uh, catch what I mean when I say that. Uh, for instance, you might hear someone say, you know, when you said that, you really hurt her feelings. Whatever. Right? Uh, or how about this one? Uh, I don't think C.S. Lewis is a very good writer. Whatever. Or maybe this one, um, Doug isn't really as old as Kevin makes him out to be all the time, is he? And all God's people said? <laughs> You're supposed to say no. Uh, you see, that's the kind of urban dictionary definition of whatever, isn't it? It's like the most dismissive way there is of dismissing something that you think is either unimportant or stupid or whatever. <laughs> Uh, I remember seeing a member of our church that I really admire uh, and respect a lot wearing a t-shirt that had whatever on it, and I was really disappointed because I thought, wow, this, I, I normally thought this was a spiritual person, and they got this whatever t-shirt on, and, uh, but then I noticed this small print underneath it where it said Philippians 4.8. Philippians 4.8 says in the NIV, uh, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, think about such things. So there's a whole different definition of uh, uh, the word whatever, obviously, and that's the definition that Paul is using today in our passage here. Whatever happens, anything and everything that happens to you, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of Christ. And when Paul was saying that, uh, he meant whatever might happen to me. Because remember, he was uh, in jail at the time. And he wasn't sure what was going to happen to him. Uh, he wasn't sure if he was going to be released or maybe put to death, executed. Uh, so whatever happens to me, and really he was speaking to them as well, whatever happens to you, Philippians, 
whether you are persecuted more or not, because as he pointed out at uh, the end of our passage today, at verse 30, he mentions how since you were going through the same struggle you saw I had back when he first came to Philippi, and now here I still have, because he's obviously in jail. But they must be going through some sort of persecution themselves. But he is saying, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Not worthy in the sense of earning salvation, earning that gospel and what it brings to us, but in the sense of living in a way worthy of Christ, who he is and what he has done for us. Live in a way keeping with that, showing the world how very much we love Jesus Christ how valuable he is to me. So today, uh, we continue our journey through Paul's letter uh, to the Philippians. Uh, remember, the Philippian Christians had sent Epaphroditus to Paul uh, to provide for him and to help him in his ministry. Now he's sending Epaphroditus back, and he's giving them uh, an update through him as to how he's doing. And of course, he's uh, in prison, as I said, not entirely sure if he's going to be released or not. Uh, but that's where he gives us his wonderful conviction that uh, in a sense, he doesn't care because to live is Christ and to die is gain. He also says he's pretty sure, though, that he's going to be released, and he'll be released, he believes, pretty confident in that because he believes want, God wants him to continue working in their lives and other people's lives for their, as he put it, progress and joy in the faith. What a cool way to think of ministry to other people, for their progress and joy in the faith. But uh, I think really this whole letter uh, is about their progress and joy in the faith. He was saying, I'm going to be released and come to see you for your progress and joy in the faith. But this letter, I think, helps them and through them helps us in our progress and joy in the faith too. So that's what we're going to consider today. Uh, we've titled our series, Living in Christ's Story. And I think Paul shows us a good bit of what that's about today. So let's go to the Lord in prayer as we get ready to dive in. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this letter, that there really was a guy named Paul a long time ago, 2,000 years ago, who wrote a letter to some people who had come to faith because of his ministry, and he wrote to encourage them for their progress and joy in the faith. And so we ask, Lord, as we get to read this letter too, and in a sense eavesdrop, that it would be for our progress and joy in the faith too. So, Lord, for each one of us here today, whatever it is that we need to hear from you from this passage, would you speak it to us as we consider it for just a short while? We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as we start talking about uh, living in Christ's story, uh, uh, again, what we've thought of as the theme to this letter, some of you might be thinking that, well, you know, that phrase, living in Christ's story, that's cute, but what does it really mean? We're going to get into that a little bit. I think verse 29 helps us. Uh, where Paul says this, whoop, one more, click. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ to believe in him. That's verse 29 of chapter 1. It has been granted to you on behalf of Christ to believe in him. Now, you'll notice there's some dots there, three exactly, and uh, to be exact, and we'll get into that and fill out the rest of the verse in a minute. But first, let's just concentrate on this basic thing. And uh, it is basic, and maybe you've heard it before, but I think it always bears repeating Believing in Christ is really the essence of what it means to be a Christian. Believing in Christ means acknowledging some things that are just true about ourselves. First off, that we have strayed from God. We have wandered away from him like wandering sheep. It's as if we're in the bushes like Adam and Eve way back in the garden hiding from God. We've rejected him. We've rebelled against him. We're seeking not to give him 
the place he deserves in our lives or in the world, the place as the ruler of all and creator of all. The result of this is to get what we ask for. You want to be away from God? Well, that's what you get in eternity, to be apart from him, which might not sound like any big deal until you consider that every good gift comes from God. Everything that is good comes from God and being with him. And to be apart from him is every kind of misery. So believing in him or putting your faith in him as it's been granted to us means admitting to yourself and more importantly to God that this is so, that this is the state of things. But you want to get reconciled and so you're going to him and counting on what Jesus Christ did on the cross, suffering and dying for us as the payment for our penalty. As one song puts it, he is mighty to save because of what he has done there. You've not committed and you can't commit any sin too big to keep him from forgiving you. There's nothing that you've done that will keep him from accepting you if you come to him and, in a sense, jump into his nail-scarred hands. Then the rest of your story is living in Christ's story. Out of love, that is, staying as close to him as you can. Doing the things that he has done and calls us to do as well. In short, as Paul says over and over in this letter, it's the life of joy. The life of joy. So if today is the first time ever, put your life in the hands of Christ. Or if it's just the first time today, put your life in the hands of Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's a quick summary of what it means to believe in him. That's the essence of the Christian faith. But let's fill in those dots and complete the verse now. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Wow, what happened to the life of joy we were just talking about? <laughs> Who said anything about suffering? How does suffering get into this? Sometimes we even say, well, Christ suffered on the cross, so you won't have to. Well, in the sense of paying the penalty for sin, of course, but we still live in a fallen world and there's all kinds of suffering going on. But let's be clear of what kind of suffering Paul is not talking about. He's not talking about the kind of suffering that we go through because of our own stupidity. I don't hear any amens on that. I think maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm the only one, but uh, uh, I can remember at least one, one time a year ago, um, I was uh, actually uh, driving and uh, stopped and got out of the car for a moment. And uh, the problem was, it was, wasn't my car, it was Ruth's car, so I was using a, an actual key instead of a key fob. And, and I don't know, literally, I don't know what happened, but the door mysteriously closed on its own and locked, and the key was in the ignition, and the engine was running. <laughs> I was like, oh, what have I done? I couldn't believe I had done this. And so... Uh, the only way I could get in was to, I broke out the opera window, the smallest window I could think of, not the windshield, you know, but the opera window in the back, reached my hand through, unlocked the door, and got in. It hurt my pride. I can't believe I'm admitting this to you even, but you're my friends, you're going to keep it here, right? <laughs> hurt my pride, hurt my wallet, and it hurt my arm as I reached through the broken window and cut it on the glass, broken glass here. So... Uh, Paul's not talking about that. <laughs> that kind of suffering is not what I would call suffering on behalf of Christ. That was suffering for my own stupidity. He's not talking about the suffering we go through because of our own sin either. 
all too often there's what you might think of as even natural consequences to our own sinful behavior, and we suffer for it. The Bible is full of all sorts of examples of that. Jacob swindled Esau of his inheritance and yet then lived the next many years in fear of Esau. After years of snubbing and putting down his brothers, Joseph, for all that, ended up enslaved in, in chains in Egypt. Samson's playboy behavior got him blinded and chained among the Philistines. And we all suffer in, the ways, in these ways, both from our stupidity and from our sin. And the really weird thing is we often blame God for that. Well, something happens because of our own behavior and we blame God when it's really our own fault. But Paul's not talking about any of that. What he's talking about is the suffering that we go through simply because we are followers of Christ, from doing the right things, whatever they might be, for it being known that we are a follower of Christ, which is what Paul was going through. He endured that uh, the first time uh, just by coming to uh, Philippi. As he said there, uh, you know, you're going through the same thing, the same struggle you saw I had, he says in verse 30, because that's what happened when he first came to the city. He preached the gospel, got thrown in jail, but nevertheless, the church was planted as a result. The same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have, again, he's in prison, and they're going through the same thing. And that's the kind of suffering we're talking about, the suffering that comes simply from being a follower of Christ, and the world doesn't like that, or for doing the right, righteous thing, and the world doesn't like that. And it strikes me, I know for many of you, and I'm sure all of us in some way at some time, if not all the time, are doing this. You're suffering for Christ. You may not have thought of it in these terms, but you are. And you need to be encouraged about that and to realize that you're doing this and it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ. It's the kind of suffering you go through when your classmates at school make fun of you because they know you go to church. Or it's the kind of suffering you're put through when you object to your company and how they're fudging on their promises that have been made to your clients or they're fudging the financial reports you've made yourself, things like that, and you suffer for it when you stand up. The kind of suffering you're put through when you go through the assignment that you never asked for but God gave you anyway. When you have that person in your life with dementia or a special need or that sick, sickness or disability. Persevering through the turmoil we've gone through as a church in the last many months. And finally, the kind of suffering you might go through when you stand up for righteousness out in the broader culture. It could be anything from issues about race to religious freedom to uh, right to life and many others that we could mention. That's suffering on behalf of Christ when you do it as unto him. Last Monday was Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and much of what he said during the civil rights era could be applied to any suffering for Christ, really. Here's a couple quotes that I think are pertinent and apply to us as we suffer for Christ. Speaking of civil rights folks, he said, we shall match your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure suffering. We will meet your physical force with soul force. Do to us what you will, and we will still love you. Wow. And I particularly like this one. Most of these people, again, just thinking of the uh, average person in the civil rights movement, most of these people will never make the headlines and their names will not, appear in, will not appear in who's who. Yet when years have rolled past and when the blazing light of truth is focused on this marvelous age in which we live, 
Men and women will know and children will be taught that we have a finer land, a better people, a more noble civilization because these humble children of God were willing to suffer for righteousness' sake. Wow. Wouldn't you want that to be said of you? Wouldn't we want that as a church to be said of us, that we made that kind of difference by our simple, maybe anonymous work and then suffering even, perhaps, for Christ? That's what Paul means when he says it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but to suffer for him. It's been granted to us on behalf of Christ, benefiting from his suffering and also sharing in his suffering as we join him in the work he's still seeking to do in this world. Now, many people will tell you that they refuse to believe in God because there's just too much suffering in the world. Well, there is too much suffering in the world, but the odd thing is, is that the solution usually requires somebody willing to endure more suffering to alleviate it rather than just standing by and complaining. It's not easy taking care of that child with a special need, but you do it anyway. It's not easy taking care of that parent with dementia, but you do it anyway. It's not easy telling people about Jesus, but you do it anyway. It's not easy fighting for that unborn child or its mother, but you do it anyway. And it wasn't easy paying the penalty for every sin of billions of people throughout the millennia that would come to believe in Jesus Christ, but he did it anyway. Jesus paid it all on the cross, of course, for our justification and salvation in that sense. Yet his ongoing work of building his church, of feeding the hungry and taking care of the oppressed, of proclaiming the gospel, of working for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, he largely do, does through his people. And that's you and me. And we all have the choice of joining God in what he's doing in this world, suffering what it takes to do it, or to stand by and live for the entertainment all of our modern toys provide us. And that's a lot, isn't it? So as I was thinking about what might be a, a great example of what this whatever idea means, the whatever happens, where we need whatever comes for God to be uh, our bravery for us, uh, I was reminded just uh, about a week or so ago about the story of uh, Ensign Jesse Brown, the guy on the left there. He was the first African-American Navy pilot, uh, and he flew Corsairs in the uh, Korean War. He was flying over North Korea on December 4th, 1950 with his squadron, trying to protect a bunch of Marines who had been surrounded by enemy soldiers. So they were flying this, and I said a stray bullet in the first service. Actually, they were shooting at him, so it wasn't a stray bullet. But a, a, a shot from the ground apparently hit his oil tank, and oil started uh, spilling out of his engine, and he was losing power and wasn't going to make it back. So he saw a, a, a bit of a flat area in the mountains, because they're in this huge mountain area, and uh, no fields or flat places, but there was this one little flat spot on the mountainside. Normally, as a pilot, you, you don't fly into mountains, okay? That's, that's a pretty big rule with pilots, but uh, that was his only option, and he saw this one place. It was very snowy, so maybe the snow would slow him down, and sure enough, he crash-landed his plane, and his squadron mates were flying around, wondering if he had made it okay. It landed flat, it seemed. And sure enough, they saw his canopy getting rolled back, and he waved. So they thought, okay, he's alive. But as they kept circling, they were afraid enemy soldiers might come and 
do things to him, you know, capture him and, and whatever. Uh, and they kept wondering why he didn't get out of the plane. Then they saw smoke coming out of the engine. And where there's smoke, there's fire. A rescue helicopter had been called in, but they were starting to fear that he wouldn't get there in time before he would burn up, and that's one of the most horrific ways to die. And that's when the guy on the right, his wingman, Lieutenant Tom Hudner, saw what was going on, fearing his wingman, his friend, might burn to death. He said, he radioed to the rest of the squadron, I'm going in. And sure enough, and did I mention that pilots normally don't fly into mountainsides? But he took his plane and flew to the same flat area and crash-landed his plane right next to his buddy. He was hoping to get there, put the fire out, and so he managed to do it. His squadron mates saw that he got out of his plane, so at least he made it somehow too. Went over to Jesse's plane and started um, putting out the fire by gathering the snow. That was uh, another good thing about the snow. Put the fire out and then went to the cockpit. Jesse was still awake and they, were, they talked a little bit. He tried pulling him out. But this plane had crashed so much that the uh, metal of the cockpit had pinned his leg and he, they just couldn't get him out. So he tried and tried and talked to him and tried to comfort him and give him what clothes he had because it's freezing cold in the snowy North Korean winter. But before the helicopter could get there, Jesse had died. But what an amazing story. It shows Tom Hudner sort of saying on the one hand, you know, whatever it takes, whatever happens... Uh, on the other hand, it also shows how much Jesse Brown was valued by this guy, right? Now, that story, of course, is a tremendous story of the an example of whatever. But, of course, the greatest example of whatever was Christ himself. Because Jesus Christ sees our situation, and we are trapped in wreckage. And we're trapped in wreckage of our own making. Not because of the actions of some enemy, though we do have one. But we're stuck in the wreckage of our own making, and Christ looks down at our situation, and even though we had rebelled and rejected him, Christ says, I'm coming in. And he crash lands, in a sense, by leaving heaven and coming to earth as a little baby in Bethlehem. Christmas story we just talked about. As the hymn puts it, he left his father's throne above and came to us. And trapped though, he, though we are, and far worse than what Jesse Brown was stuck in, trapped as we were, Jesus pulls us out of that wreckage by trading places with us and dying on the cross, as we've talked about, already and rising again from the dead, that through faith we might spend eternity with him. How awesome it is and how thankful we should be that our Jesus said on our behalf, whatever happens whatever it takes for us. Now, it's in light of all that that Paul says to us, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a way worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, we know how worthy that gospel is, but that's where we need the song, Whatever Comes. Because in our own strength, in our own power, we, we fail all the time, right? But whatever comes, we can come to God and ask him, uh, that even when we do fall down again in our efforts, he still forgives us and he picks us back up and puts us on our feet and empowers us with his whatever power to do the things he calls us to do. And that should give us all great hope in whatever we have done or whatever we are doing on his behalf. As we'll see in a, a few weeks, Paul says to the Philippians, uh, it is God who works in us to will and to act according to his good purpose. And that should give us great confidence 
as we seek to serve him. But that also, brothers and sisters, is a, a real reason why we are emphasizing this time to pray. Uh, it is only as we have God's power that we can serve him in the ways that he calls us to, that we can conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of Christ. And as we've said, we've obviously been through a tough time. And we want to see God heal us. We want to see God unify us as a church all the more, and then to guide us as to what does he have next for this church. He's not done with us, and uh, we have the opportunity to conduct ourselves individually and corporately in a manner worthy of, of Christ. So we need him to come, whatever comes, Lord. Be our rock, be our strength. So I encourage you, please take our uh, challenge for a time to pray seriously, and let's be praying as a church so that whatever happens, we would be able to serve the Lord in the ways he's calling us to. So let's pray even now, and uh, I'm going to actually pray the thing that here is here for Sunday, uh, among other things. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, how we do thank you so much for your love for us in Christ. Lord Jesus, we thank you that uh, your attitude was whatever it takes to save us and whatever Satan threw at you in the wilderness and whatever the soldiers threw at you when they arrested you and tortured you and whatever the rulers did to mock you saying, save yourself and come down off of that cross and you didn't and you stayed there and saved us. We thank you for your whatever power and your love for us in that way. And Lord, we do want to pray as we're talking about praying now that, that we as a church would wholeheartedly trust in you during this season of transition and that we would not just trust in our own wisdom, but Lord, that we would trust in you with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding, but acknowledge you in all things. And would you therefore guide us, strengthen us, heal us, unite us as your people that we might go forth into this community and into the world as we have opportunity and proclaim your name. So, Father, do that. Use the tithes and offerings we give you now, even as a way to do that. And we commit it to you in Christ's name. Amen.